I was just thinking the other day how many of the wonderful folks I've been so privileged to meet and have now left us. And I got to them just in time. People like Tommy Covington, who was on the first Midday Merry-Go-Round show. Uh, people like Lance Owens, 95 years old. He just left us this year. He was playing jazz in Knoxville in the 1940s. He's the one that told me about the 509 Club. Welcome to Country Road Detours, podcasting from the front porch of the South. Visit us at countryrooddetours.com. Did you know that Knoxville had some of the best jazz clubs in the South years ago? And in the early days, this scruffy little city produced some of the best country music talent this world has ever known. Movie entertainers like Polly Bergen, Patricia Neal, Quentin Tarantino, Tony Award winner John Cullum, and opera star Mary Costa all came from Knoxville. Find out this and more as we travel in the time machine with Bradley Reeves, one of the South's leading archivists. Podcasting today from the Museum of Appalachia in Norris, Tennessee, I'm Bob Longmire with Bradley Reeves in this episode of Country Road Detours. And now, let's listen in. Hey, this is Bob Longmire with Country Road Detours, and I am at the Museum of Appalachia. Is that the way you say it, Brad? Is well, it I'm going to, it could be, it's like potato, potatoes, tomatoes, potato, whatever, you know, it's, it's uh, whatever you want to say. I'm going to say Appalachia. Appalachia. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, gotta... that's a debate. It's been going on for years. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. How long has this museum been here? This museum, I think, was started in 1969. John Rice Irwin. Oh, yeah. His baby, his creation. He's still with us. Uh, I believe he's 88 years old. And uh, we're actually sitting in his former office. Oh, we are. Yeah, he's retired now. But uh, they gave me space here. Okay. At the museum, and what I do is uh, preserve media history, our local media. I'm an archivist. Um, what I do is preserve, uh, uh, well, it's like a new wave of librarians where people used to focus on books and maps and historical documents. We've got a lot of media captured in the 20th century. Talk about all the film, all the videotape, the reel to reel audio tape, the wire recordings, the records. All of that is in danger, and uh, in this particular case, in East Tennessee, our culture uh, is not being gathered up in one place. You know, it's scattered to the winds. So I'm on a constant journey through the back roads of East Tennessee, looking for film, home movies, people's home movies. Uh, I'm going to estate sales and looking for uh, the records. You know, the vinyl or shellac that were made. Right here in Knoxville. As you know, we've got a great music history here. So it's a constant search for photographs, music, recordings, uh, everything that you could imagine. Right now, in uh, that dehydrator, I have a tape baking. And that tape was given to me on Sunday. This was um, a real-to-real audio tape recorded at the Senators Club in March 8, 1968. Wild, by all accounts. Well, the Senators Club was a, a swinging little joint out on Alcoa Highway. It's Court South now, I believe, or it's a, it's a place where you go work out. Uh, before that, it was the Sabone Club. 
but they had live jazz music and live rock and roll, and you could go and have a drink and mix and mingle dance and uh, potentially meet a significant other. One project I've been working on was um, a nightclub in downtown Knoxville in mm -hmm. the 1940s. It was owned by a guy named Jack Comer, who would uh, eventually go on to uh, create the Dean Hill Country Club, another wild place uh -huh. full of uh, drinking and live jazz and music and gambling and every, every fun thing mm -hmm. you could think of back then. Knoxville was a wide open town, only we pretended we weren't. Um, that's the uh, uh, impression that I get by talking to the old timers. Um, Club 509 was uh, at 509 Clinch. You would go there, and uh, they had a ballroom upstairs. There's the building. It's still there today. Oh, they dance and yeah, it was an amazing place by all accounts. So they let me in there last week, and they let me roam around the owners of the building. And I told them the history, and they found these pictures. I don't know oh, if you can come over here, but there's the ballroom in the 80s. This is the 1980s when they bought and refurbished the building. And here they are, uh, you know, turning it into office Beautiful. space. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. And there's where the bandstand was. Oh, my. So all the hot jazz guys would come in and play, and it got kind of rowdy. Unfortunately, you know, it was abandoned for years. Nobody knew that there was a ballroom up there. Mm -hmm. And there's the actual club, 509 House Band. This is the Bill Lawson Band, Carl Wells on piano, and uh, that's the actual stage as it was in the late 1940s. Audience members, you can go to the website, countryrolldetours.com, and check out these pictures of Club 509 and other pictures that Brad will share with us. Go ahead, Brad. Well, and uh, also some audio. Um, if you want to hear what it sounded like, somebody had a disc cutter, a disc cutting machine before tape. You had to have a record machine, and it was just a piece of plastic, and it would cut a groove. The needle would cut a groove. These were one of one. They weren't mass produced. But somebody had the bright idea, probably Jack Comer, to record some live audio in 1946 or 47 of uh, the Swinging Little Jazz Club. So I've posted this, and folks can hear it. Oh. And it captures the ambiance of a wild, smoky, boozy evening in downtown Knoxville. hot stuff. Well, I say it. Yeah, yeah. that is awesome. Oh, it is awesome. Wow. I mean, that sounds like Knoxville was Music City before Nashville was. Well, uh, Knoxville had its own scene going on, and forgotten is the fact that we uh, we had jazz music. We had blues music. It wasn't uh -huh. just country around here. Uh -huh. um, it, we had it all. We still have it all. We've all we've been culturally rich, and we're very unique and different from other cities in the fact that we've got music coming from all over. You know, settled right here in the, the heart of the valley. People coming from all over. Um, it wasn't just country music. It was everything, and that's what is being uncovered by the work that I'm doing. Is finding out there was a bigger picture here. You know, most people think, well, it was just country music here in Knoxville, like Acuff and Atkins would play, and 
Dolly Parton, and you think country music, but nobody ever thinks jazz. I mean, you really uncovered something here. Well, there's, there's, and that's what surprised me. That's what absolutely surprised me. The house band on the WNOX Midday Merry-Go-Round was a band called the Dixieland Swingsters, and they played jazz. Uh-huh. They put out about 12 really hot jazz records from 1937 to 1939. And if you hear the early midday merry-go-round broadcast, there's two or three that survive. There's a lot of jazz mixed in with the country. Oh. And yeah. There's a program that survives, I believe, from 1938. And uh, you'll hear jazz mixed in with a folk singer, uh, pop, uh, you name it. Um, we were very, very, very diverse. In 1929 and 30, some of the hottest uh, blues and gospel records were made at the original WNOX studios uh, at the St. James Hotel. You said you worked at the TVA, uh, did you work at the TVA Towers downtown? Yes. There was a hotel there called the St. James Hotel, and that's where WNOX uh, studios were located in the late 1920s. Now, Maynard Baird and his Southern Serenaders were uh, a hot jazz band. We had a thriving blues and jazz scene on Vine Avenue, an African-American community. Uh, people like Howard Louis Bluey Armstrong. So all these jazz musicians were here. We never knew it. Maybe some did. Charlie Hageman, one of the greatest jazz guitarists I've ever heard, uh, was on the Midday Merry-Go-Round for many years. And when he went off to war, World War II, to be exact, Chet Atkins stepped in his place. Ah. And Chet Atkins is one of the greatest jazz musicians I have ever heard. Oh, my. Yeah. His influences were guys like George Barnes and Django Reinhardt. You know, you, you dig a little deeper. He cut some great jazz albums. Homer and Jethro. Oh, those are jazz yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. My dad had an album by them. But uh, okay, so now it's like now I'm I'm thinking I want to know more about this. So um, can you tell us uh, what's your website address? Well, I mostly use Facebook. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm brand new. You know, I've only been doing this particular Appalachian Media Archives for a year. Yeah, but you did work at the Tennessee Archive of Moving Image and Sound. Yeah, and you were involved with a lot of projects there and oh, events. I, I am telling you, once you start knocking on doors and you start getting into basements and attics and garages, you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised what you find. And, but Time is running out because the people that were involved in early television, they're leaving us. Mm -hmm. Radio, they're leaving us. Mm -hmm. Even their grandchildren are are reaching the age of, say, the senior citizen's age, and uh, stuff is is going in the trash. So, oh my, yeah, they don't know the value of it. They just say, ah, this is something old. I'm throwing it away. Right. Or the film, home movies, you know, uh, they're, they're decomposing, they're turning into dust. That old movie film mm-hmm. is getting something called vinegar syndrome, and it's decaying, and we're losing so much of that. I try to save what I can. If I get a nasty old film that's rotting and uh, it's not to a certain point, I'll soak it in a solution for a month or two, and then I'll try to work with it, recondition it. You know, you got to wind it tightly and let it soak in a chemical that lubricates it. It doesn't destroy the image, as a matter okay. of fact. Yeah, it renders it pliable enough to run through that film digital film scanner, which scans the frames. And the results are, are pretty awesome. Here's something I'm working on for October 24th. 
This is a whole movie that turned up last month. Dolly Parton, Kaz Walker. I've never seen that before. Well, this is this is from Kaz's W A T E Channel uh-huh. Six show. Kaz had three different shows on three different channels. He bought time on Channel Twenty Six up on Sharp Ridge. Yeah. And uh, he was on WATE for many years, current, you know, coexisting with his show on WBIR television. Uh-huh. Now, most people think of him as Channel 10. Yeah, but that's right. Yeah, Kaz Walker Time. It was the Farm and Home Hour on okay, Channel 10. Kaz Walker Time on Channel, Channel 6. 6. Okay. Nothing Survives because television was broadcast live. Live. And this was pre-videotape. But a commercial did. And uh, so we'll be showing this. Visit us at countryrooddetours.com. and Phil Butler's home movies right now. And they were some of the top country music artists to come out of Knoxville and leave here and go to Nashville. And Carl played on WNOX, WROL, WBIR, every radio station around. He cut his first records at WROL Studios for Capitol in uh, 1950, 51, somewhere in there. He and Pearl, they were Knoxville mainstream fixtures and in 1962 Carl and Pearl had a number one hit with Don't Let It Cross Over which is one of the ultimate cheating songs it's a country music honky tonk standard Don't let me cross Well, they're country music legends, but here they are, Knoxville, at the original WAT. Color, yeah, home, silent. It's Archie. Archie Campbell. This is at the old studio before they went moved to Greystone. They, oh, okay. They were yeah. a different location. Oh, they were. Where was that? Uh, do you remember? Do you know, well, do you know where Petrie's Flowers is, or yeah. uh, Ramey's, Vic and Bill's, Fisher Tire, Broadway? Yeah, right there. Okay. Uh, it was an old mayonnaise factory. So. It's, Somebody brought, Pearl brought her home movie camera, and although there's no sound, you actually see the set of the Kaz Walker show. This is Carl and Pearl on Kaz's W-A-T-E show. That's, that's before the cast. Look at that painted backdrop. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. I wonder where that went. That was done by O.D. Abston. It's a painted background of Kaz Walker's uh, store with shelves and products. Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing, and that was his set for Channel 6, and the studio was so small, you can see, okay, the camera would turn oh. to the right, that's the Mary Star cooking show. Oh, set. Mary Star, yeah. I used to watch her. Straight ahead would be Kaz, and I'm sure if you turned to the left, it would be another show, possibly the Popeye, <laughs> Popeye show that was really big back then. All in one room. All in one room. It was tiny. You got any uh, 
Uh, well, we have Ernie. There's Dolly. Oh, there's Dolly. She's about 10 here. And that is the importance of saving home movies because yeah. these are the earliest appearances of Dolly Parton. Making believe that you still love me. It's leaving me alone and so blue. I'll always dream, still I'll never own you. Making These were the Kaz Walker group of entertainers. There's the WIVK bus, uh -huh. uh, remote bus I spotted um, in the corner there. So it's something to do with WIVK radio. Sure. You, you get this, and once you see the image for the first time, what's going through your, your head? Well, if it's something like this Dolly clip or uh, people I've just heard about, like this guy here, little Robert... I go. I can't believe it. I'm I'm stunned <laughs> that such images survive. Okay, here's another home movie that turned yeah. up last month. There's Red Wrecker. There you go. Uh, Bud Brewster, Fred E. Smith. Uh huh. This is there's Dolly. Now she's a few years older. This was done in Fountain City. Uh, uh -huh. He played that bass for 50, 60 years. There's this is a WIVK event at uh, a gas station. There's a, a steakhouse there called Litton's. It's classic. And again, there's that WIVK bus. So when something like this, a little tiny reel of film, yeah. an eight millimeter home movie. No sound. No sound for the program. Yeah. Oh, there's Dolly. So, yeah, I tried to make it. This is her homecoming in Severe. Oh, man, I wish our audience could see this. So They can see it. They'll have to come to uh, the East Tennessee History Center October 24th. They can oh see my. it on the big screen. There you go. Yeah. We have teased the audience, right. and now they have to go to... Come to the book signing. Come to the book launch. Well, what book are you talking about, Mr. It's, Reeves? It's the book about Kaz, uh, put together by UT Press. It's, okay. They're producing it. It was written by the late Joshua Hodges, a PhD student. or Actually, he got his PhD right before he died. Okay. And he spent years interviewing. Mm -hmm. uh, he and a, a fellow by the name of Ernie, Professor Ernie Freeberg at the University of Tennessee. He and will be there, right? He will. Oh, yeah. He will be there. Uh, this was his brainchild. He and Josh uh, did it together. And Ernie, ironically, lives in Kaz Walker's house. He was fascinating hearing all these stories about Kaz Walker. Why is the fascination there, he wondered. You know, what is it about this man that's made him such an icon? You either love Kaz Walker or you intensely dislike him. There is no in-between. What's the name of this book? The name of this book is Kaz Walker, Stories on His Life and Legend. 
It's uh, published this fall by UT Press, and uh, the late historian Joshua Hodge recorded oral histories with many who knew Kaz Walker, you know, as friends, as employees, as political rivals or allies, and collected from uh, different musicians, people that uh, have worked with uh, Kaz or uh, folks like myself. I've spent over 15 years collecting anything I can find on Kaz. 15 years? Yeah. Everything. He's been my main topic of research all these years. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, well, I'm, it's amazing what keeps turning up on Kaz. It's endless. And you have scratched the surface. Well, let me show you what I found today. Okay. All right. So here's a Tennessee theater flyer. This is a, a program from 1932. So oh, you could go to, Yeah. They were showing a, a film called Strictly Dishonorable. And it's a story about a little girl who got herself insulted in a speakeasy and liked it. Uh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> well, uh, that must well the been. cover is impressive. It looks like something from New York. Right. Well, look who's in it. Kaz Walker's Cash Stores. It's an ad placed by Kaz in this Tennessee theater program. And it says, uh, for music you'll enjoy, tune in to WROL each Tuesday and Friday at 8.30 p.m. So even in 1932, Kaz is on local Knoxville radio. Oh. That is going way back. And that is why I think that man was savvy, because he understood the importance of using the media to advertise as far back as 1932. Uh -huh. Supposedly, he had his first radio show in 1929. Ah. Uh -huh. Uh, that was on WROL. He didn't work with WNOX. He, he went with a competitor because the rates were cheaper. So what, was Kaz Walker like, a, did he play anything, any instruments or? No, he was a businessman, uh, a very savvy, astute businessman. Mm -hmm. And he used music to promote his grocery stores mm -hmm. and in turn used that uh, uh, influence to become a politician. Mm -hmm. And... He was around for so long, 1924 to, what, 1998? That's a long time. He was yeah. just part of our cultural landscape. He represented a lot of East Tennesseans, and a lot of people loved him. Uh, he was everywhere you went. He had a newspaper. He was on the radio a couple of different times a day on different stations. He was on television. <laughs> he was literally everywhere. It's impressive. I heard a story where Kaz had an office on Chapman Highway. was approached by a farmer that was having trouble making his payments. Well, Kaz paid off the farm and gave the deed to the farmer. Yeah. That's what gets left out of the picture uh, a lot of the times. Um, you know, he sent flowers to, to people's, well, for his employees' funerals or, or relatives of employees. He hired African Americans and whites, blacks. They all worked together. You know, he was. Uh, he didn't care what color you were, who you were. You know, it's it's something that amazes me, and it comes out in this book. You know, mm -hmm. talking to people that knew him uh, from all races, creeds. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, not all of it's positive in the book. You get both sides yeah. of the story. And that's what's so cool about it. Uh, that's what makes it fair, really, when yeah. you hear both sides. All right. Make up your own mind about him. Like, and that's what you end up with the book. I'm not, I'm going to give you a teaser. <laughs> You'll draw your own conclusions. Okay. That's, that's the brilliance of this book. You'll hear there's one chapter where 
three different people will tell the same story and it will be different. Oh. Yeah. So you start to like hear where a legend begins oh. and gets embellished and changed and turned into something else, but basically has the same point. It's a fascinating study in not only Kaz Walker, but human nature and how we hear things, how we understand things, and how we as a culture inter interpret things. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fascinating. Well, and he was uh, real good friends with Reverend Mull. Yeah. Is that in the book? J. Basil Mull. Uh, I'm sure Basil. I'm sure Jay Basil's mentioned in there. There's so many people, yeah. uh, so many interviews. It's a fascinating character study. Mole was part of that scene as well. You know, those two were together on WIVK radio in the 1950s along with Big Jim Hess yeah. and Claude Tomlinson. Uh, AC. Yeah, Lester Longmire and Old Man Short. Right. Now, let me tell you something, Bradley. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but my dad, Bert Longmire, was... Um, Creative Director, Vice President of Davis, Newman, and Payne. Mm -hmm. And then it was Lavish Davis, Newman. I can't remember. But uh, Claude Tomlinson went to my dad, and he said, Bert, I'm thinking about some names for a character, mm -hmm. uh, some radio characters that I'm working on. And I thought of Lester Longmire, using your last name. It just sounds good. What do you think, Bert? My dad... Awesome. was working on something. He turned around and said, sounds good to me. And then he went back to work. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. Wow. Man. It wasn't no big deal. My dad. And that became he, like, that That was a Knoxville institution on the radio. I remember oh, yeah. growing up every morning on the way to school, my mother would drop us off at Bearden and she'd have it on WIVK and we would hear Lester Longmire. Yeah. I loved it. And Old I, Man Schultz. Old Man Schultz. <laughs> and there was another little character that he retired early. Little yeah. Alf was the name. Oh, of. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Little Alf was in the 50s, and he was real countryfied. Like, he was a country rube. Uh -huh. So I guess he thought maybe over time it was kind of rude, so he, he changed into something else. <laughs> but. Back at ringside, you know, all kinds of wrestling action will be on the card Friday night at Chill Highway Park Arena. Tommy Gilbert asked for a match against Dandy Jack Donovan, who turned on Gilbert last night, left the ring after... Turn that over and be quiet a minute. I've got a little something I want to tell you. Oh, I don't doubt that. How come you've got my chair run down slow? You've got it run down low trying to make... I don't handle chairs, Ron. I don't have a thing to do with it. Put yours down there a little bit. Tell me about Jim Hess. He was one of my favorite personalities in Knoxville. I love Big Jim Hess. What a character. What a smooth cat, too. He was cool. I mean, I never got to meet him. But I worked with uh, Fred Hess's mother. Okay. The late... Uh, Fred Hess is Jim's son. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Tell us a little bit about Jim Hess. Because like you said, he was cool. Nothing phased him. Like when there were two wrestlers hovering over him fighting and he was sitting there at the desk with the mic. Yeah. Sometimes you'd catch him just rolling his eyes. He, well, to him, it was all a joke. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was just fun. He was having a good time. He was a an accomplished actor who started appearing in plays at the Bijou. Uh, very serious. Did not actor. know that. Yeah. Yeah, he was an actor. He was he was a, a drama student, I believe. And his grandfather, if 
I'm not mistaken, uh, was um, an educator at the University of Tennessee, and you may have heard of Hess Hall. Oh. So that's, yeah. So that's, uh, he comes from an educated background, and somehow he got into entertainment. By the 1950s, he got into radio, and he was a radio pioneer. He was there at, on the first day of WIVK broadcasting in 1953 when they were located on Gay Street. And that cat was so good, he would do two or three different shows and do them in different voices. He did a hillbilly show, he did a gospel show, and he did them in different voices. And they're all done tongue-in-cheek. You can hear kind of a smile in his voice. Uh, by the 1960s, he branched out into television. My goodness, um, wrestling uh, was something that was remembered quite well. To this day, people remember and associate Big Jim Hess with wrestling. And it was a, a tiny little part of his career. But um, it's hilarious. There's one show out of all of those that survived. And it was captured by John Kazana, the wrestling promoter in Knoxville. His daughter had it. Teddy Kazana Fritz had it for all these years. And it is priceless. Ron writes in it. Uh, it's on YouTube, uh -huh. and if you want to see it, and John Kazana, and of course Big Jim, he's just having fun. Big Jim seemed to walk through life with just the most casual of, of ease, and uh, left us way too soon. I think he, yeah. Yeah, way too soon. But he, he had style. Some of the poetry that he used to do on W. Easy K Radio. You remember oh, that station? Yeah, Easy Listening. Yeah, elevator music. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was on Sharps Ridge for many, many years. Okay. Engelbrecht Studios right. up there. W W E Z K and W uh, T V K. T V K. Yeah, okay. long, long gone station. That he used to do these poetry readings, and they were fascinating because he would put sounds like Old Montavani or Lawrence Welk or. Uh, Andy Williams, the easiest listening, and he would recite poetry in a voice so smooth and so melodious and so romantic. You know, women would swoon. Um, he was great at that, and he was great at everything he did. Commercials, there's tons of commercials with him that survived. Pardons Jewelers. Um, people knew and trusted him. He's another one of those guys that was such a part of East Tennessee's landscape for so long that everybody just knew who he was. Well, everybody remembers this. Yeah. No, nobody, but nobody. <laughs> well, yeah. Where did that come from? Do you remember? If not, I, Fred, he, uh, Fred Hess will tell us. Fred, Fred uh, I'm going to be right back. Don't okay. go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to show you something that turned up the other day. Okay, Bradley Reed just handed me an MGM uh, 45 with the lion on it and everything that says the story of three nails part one and it says jim hess yeah wow jim put out a record for mgm in the 50s and he had a deal with mgm uh he bought a song half of a song from a fellow named arthur q smith who was uh one of the greatest unknown country music songwriters of all time he wrote hit after hit oh, after man. hit and he would sit in a bar on Gay Street, and he would drink first thing in the morning, the last thing at night. And all the musicians from WNOX, the Midday Merry-Go-Round, which was our 
popular barn dance here uh, that inspired so many musicians. I mean, think about how many folks were in Knoxville in the 1940s, 50s. You've got Cowboy Copas, Pee Wee King, Chet Atkins, Roy Acuff, Don Gibson, Flatt and Scruggs, uh, Carl Smith, um, the Carter family. I mean, I could literally go on. Carl Butler, so many musicians came from here and went on to Nashville. But they all knew to go across the street after the midday merry-go-round. There'd be a little guy sitting there, and he would sell you a hit song for the price of his bar tab. Oh, my. Yeah. Arthur Q. Smith is one of the most fascinating studies. And other than Kaz Walker, he's actually been another uh, source of research for me. We finally got enough research material together and put out a double CD box set of the man's music and pictures, memories, and we got a Grammy nomination. We were nominated for a Grammy and uh, went to New York, got to go to the Grammys, me and Wayne Bledsoe. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And finally got this man's story told because we heard it from all the old timers. You know, Arthur Hugh Smith wrote that or, uh, you know, Arthur Q. Smith did this, that, and the other. But we finally started finding proof, you know. And the proof came in the form of bar tabs where... Uh, oh, yeah. Where he found bar tabs. Bar tabs and pictures. And the, there was a, a bar, the Three Feathers, right at the corner of Jackson and Gay. We have a monument to Arthur Q. there now. Uh-huh. And that was his home office. And think of all the hit songs. If you think of the sound of country music of the late 1940s and 50s, you could say that Arthur Q. Smith definitely shaped that. Uh, Hank Williams recorded his songs. The problem with Arthur Q. Smith is that when he sold you a song, he sold you the rights to it. You put your name on it, you say you wrote it, and you get the royalties. In the end, he shortchanged himself, Mm -hmm. and he died young. Uh, of alcoholism, unfortunately. But uh, I would say so many songs uh, of the country wow. music era were by him. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the Three Feathers bar owners, the Shursky family, they kept receipts, they kept the contracts, they bought a lot of songs um, in exchange for paying his bar tab. And I saw something that you posted, and it was an old silent film. I'm going, wait a minute, was this made in Knoxville, or or did you find it in Knoxville? I started looking and finding out there were several movie theaters here. You know, you, you think about the Bijou, and then you think later the Rockin' Chair Theater on Magnolia Avenue, and then Tennessee. But there were more theaters before them. 
Oh gosh, the we Booth had, Theater, the Booth on Cumberland Avenue, Joy, the Joy, uh, which is now a theater again. It's called Central Cinema yes, right. and Broadway. The Broadway, Broadway. Yeah, that, that building is still there. Actually, that's what I thought, but it isn't. Oh, it, it was is. demolished. Yeah, the building next to it. I was under the impression that was the Broadway. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, there was a building alongside it where oh. there's now a okay. big empty space. But gosh, there was the park. Uh, there was the Lee Theater in Lonsdale. There's a um, what's Habitat for Humanity. There was a theater there. That building is still there because I found. I went to Google Maps and I took a pitch snapshot of it, and then I compared it with the old one, and it matches. Oh, 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 oh! Yeah, there was a theater there. You're right. Some of the old timers that I know went, used to go there. Vermont Park City's theater. A lot of people from the mills around that area would go to that particular theater. Yeah, we had neighborhood theaters back then. South Knoxville had the Horn, which was on uh, Chapman Highway, I yeah. believe. There was one on Western Avenue called the Dawn, and that's uh -huh. still there. I don't just collect local stuff. Uh, I I look for any old silent movies, cartoons. Uh, comedies, yeah. anything that's unique and rare. There's a lot of stuff that didn't make. So them. you may have film that doesn't exist in Hollywood anymore. Right. Uh, you know, some of these things are 95, almost 100 years old. Um, well, I love that one that you showed, and we'll we'll put the link on our website. Uh, uh, somebody on a cliff uh, with a wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah. I, I watched that thing, and I was like, Wasn't oh, that amazing? Oh, I mean, I was like tense yeah. watching that, thinking, oh, my God. And it's for real. Yeah. This isn't computer-generated graphics here. <laughs> this guy was really doing the work, and yeah. that's what makes those silent movies <laughs> so great. That one was identified. It didn't have a title to it. It was, it was just a piece of a film. Uh, that was probably shown at the Majestic in downtown Knoxville. Um, or even the Bijou, which was around in the 1920s. You talk about films made in Knoxville. You know, it, it surprised me to see this. Um, this was a six-wheel. This was made in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1962. And these were all Knoxville people. Okay, did Hollywood come here and make a film? Or oh, no. We had a movie studio. Sam Orleans. Uh, it's great. Uh, that's that's Broadway. Oh, my word. Yeah, this film was decomposing. It was on its last legs. And this is something you restored. I'm, I'm, it's a work in progress. You are working the color is faded. Um, but this, this was made, um, I believe her name was Peggy, a real beauty. Yeah. She won the talent contest to be in the film. Let's see if you can recognize this area. Oh, I do recognize that. That is, isn't that on Central Avenue Pike? Uh, you're pretty close. The camera will turn, and you will it will identify it perfectly. I'll live. Let's see. Greenlee's Bicycle Shop. It's oh, Broadway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That gas station's been torn down, but the locals, that's what I love about going through this. Uh, these films is to see our town as it was. To see our hey, town. I see that. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Is that Walt? Is it? It yeah, might be. It looks like Walt. It uh, might. Walt. Uh, play a little more there. Because uh, I'll, I'll recognize him if it is. Because I worked with him for seven years. Oh, Mr. Hanson, what about your tires? That just I think it's Walt. 
I think it's Walt. I think you nailed it. Yeah. 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 That's what he would have looked like in 1962. (laughs) Uh, He was creative director, for those that don't know, Walt Martin was creative director for Channel 10, and he actually wrote that song, Kaz Walker Melons are thumping good. Thumping good. Thumping good. Yeah. Thumping good. A, le- a legend. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wish. I've been looking for years for family of Walt Martin. I know, I know he had some daughters or a daughter. And if you happen to ever find a contact, let me know because I know. Hey, if anybody on listening to this show, please give Bradley Reeves a call. What is your phone Eight, number? 865-661-5854. Give me a call. I really, that's the one nut I've not been able to crack is Walt Martin. Uh, he's gone now, maybe at 10 years, 15. And, uh, well, we're going to find you some people. Let's find some people. Yes. Yeah. Cause I, I know Walt probably shot film and may have some great material somewhere, photographs. Um, cause he was so creative mm-hmm. and, um, he was such an unusual guy by all accounts. I wish I'd met him. You you were there during a great time. Oh my gosh! I mean WBIR, and I enjoyed my experience there. One of the greatest thrills of my life was to be allowed to go into the the garage and pull out thousands of little rolls of film. Uh, I'm talking thousands. Yeah, and, and they had Dolly Parton in there too. Dolly was in there. Yeah, uh, these films had not been seen since they aired back, as far back as 1956. That the is first awesome. year. It is awesome. I couldn't believe. My luck. Did you find any Doc Johnson? Oh, yeah. And Carl Williams? Yes. Yes, I did. Doc Johnson, as some of you may know, uh, Doc would Johnson die. was the main anchor, news anchor. Yeah. And Carl Williams was his co-anchor. That's right. Carl Williams, and that, we're talking television pioneers right here. We're talking Rex Rainey. And John Hart was the manager. That's right. All that wrestling we talked about, Lopper Room, all of it's gone. So every little scrap of television history that survives is a miracle. And it really shows us who we were, who we are. You know, it's a reflection on uh, East Tennessee and in particular Knoxville. I'm I mean, a lucky that's man. rare to have a job of doing something that you love. Well, I figured this way. There's not a big demand for film archivists out there. So if I want to do this kind of thing, then I create my own job. You know, I was just thinking the other day how many of the wonderful folks I've been so privileged to meet and have now left us. And I got to them just in time. People like Tommy Covington, who was on the first Midday Merry-Go-Round show. People like Lance Owens, 95 years old. He just left us this year. He was playing jazz in Knoxville in the 1940s. He's the one that told me about the 509 Club. Uh-huh. And told me tales, which I can't repeat here. Margaret Seagrave. Uh, I've been able to meet movie stars from the 1940s. Uh, you know, what about Mary Costa? Oh, uh, Mary. Now that's an. I've been so lucky to. Yeah, I've met her. You know, and people think of her as Sleeping Beauty, but you know what? She was so much more than a Disney voice. One of the coolest movies I've ever seen is uh, this one right here. Made in Hollywood. With, it's a crime film. My and, God. Yeah. It's a poster. It says, uh, starring Roy Calhoun in The Big Caper, co-starring Mary Costa and James Gregory. And can I be honest with you? I think yeah. She, that movie, I think she may be embarrassed of it. Um, oh. Yeah. She, she doesn't seem to be too proud of it, but she's... 
appreciative that the younger generation thinks it's fun. Okay. Uh, and she is an absolute knockout in it. I bet. She is just a bombshell. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've run into her before several times. Uh, it's a very sweet lady. Yeah, very kind, very vivacious, even oh, like yeah. at, at the age of 90. And she's just a, little, a girl from Halls, you know. I can see you got to get back to work. Do I have to? Yeah, you have to. Oh, man. I know this is oh. fun. But listen, I've got a present for you, and yeah. we're going to offer it on our website. And uh, it's a Kaz Walker old coon hunter button. That's awesome. I'm to give this to you. My, that is awesome. My brother and I, Mark Longmire, and I, we've been working on this. How and then awesome. we got this right here that he did. Bert Longmire was his name. Bert did these? Yeah, he, he did, did the cartoon. Oh, man, the Blue Band Coffee. Yes, Blue Band Coffee. Now, Bradley, do you know who you're going to vote for? Are you having trouble voting? I can see you are. Well, here is a candidate that you wish you could vote. Kaz Walker for president. <laughs> well, uh, he's in. Uh, yeah, he's in. <laughs> you are a decided voter. I think he's going to win this year. The odds are pretty good. I'm wearing this on October 24th. I'm going to wear that. Well, you're the first one I've given these buttons Thank to. Thank you. We have permission to sell these, so that is awesome. This but is they're fantastic. three dollars a piece, and uh, we'll offer them, and they're going to be collectibles one day. Only collectible after I die. You ought, you ought to bring these for sale, sale, and sell them at the book thing. Have your little table there. October twenty fourth, it's the book launch, and David West will be there with his band, the okay. Cat Walker Band. Yeah. And, uh, we're going to show clips from the show and rare silent home movies of Dolly Parton when she was growing up in Knoxville. And, All right. Uh, gosh, the book will be there. People will be able to purchase it. And know. someone will be there. Who will be signing the book? Dr. Ernest Freeberg from the University of Tennessee. So you get an autographed book? Autographed book, professor of history. Okay. Uh, he's the man behind it. Music, fun. There'll be a panel discussion. I think Bo Pierce will be there. Uh, folks will be talking about Kaz and audience participation is mm -hmm. recommended. We'll, we'll pass around a mic like Phil Donahue. You know what I mean? And you can just go ask questions or tell your favorite Kaz story. East Tennessee History Center, October 24th, uh, right there on Gay Street at 7 o'clock, 7 to 9. It's a book launching. Um, hopefully, Ashley Walker will be able to make it. Yeah, Ashley's the grandson. The grandson. Of Kaz Walker. If Kaz Walker looks uncannily like him. Oh, I know. I, I've said that. And and some people say, yeah, I don't know if he does. And then um, most of them say, yes, he does. He does. Yeah. He do It's uncanny. He's like a smoother version. He's yeah. like a more handsome. I think he's a more handsome, like a movie star version of Kaz Walker. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So and if there was a, a movie made about him as a young guy, this guy can do it. This guy can do it. Yeah, it's uncanny. Uh, and it's a real connection with Kaz. You know? Oh, yeah. It's it's great. Well, Bradley, I know this is a lot of hard work. I'm looking around and I'm seeing, my goodness, you've got so much going on. And, uh, oh. need, you know, people need to donate toward this because this is a worthy cause. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a for-profit, so... Uh, That's okay. Where I went, but they can just, they can call me, they can... Look, contact me through the Appalachian Media Archives Facebook page, uh, email, uh, jazmyblues1 at gmail.com. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for sponsors, and I'm always looking for historic documents, uh, photographs, home movies, Well, this is important because there's a hunger 
from people that want to know more about Knoxville. Right. A new generation that never seen what we've seen. That's right. And the stuff that we haven't even seen, you know, my, uh, oh, some of my definitely. research back to the 20s, 1920s recordings of Knoxville mm -hmm. uh, have been amazing. Uh, so, Bradley, thank you for being on Country Road Detours. You have been awesome. Thank You're you. You're one of my favorite guests. All right. And, uh, <laughs> and we hope to have you on again. Oh, I'd love to. It's yeah. always fun. I like what you do. And, uh, I think it's uh, it's pretty great. So yeah, yeah, please anytime. Podcasting from the front porch of the South. Thanks for stopping by Country Road Detours. <laughs>